security is an issue um, at this at this event. There's people coming in, vendors. There's uh, one of the most valuable assets at this facility is its children, patients, and, and the enormous amount of staff. Welcome to Episode 3 of Security in Focus, hosted by Umbrella Technologies. This podcast is dedicated to the truth about security, entrepreneurship, and business. Not in that order. Here's your host, Thomas Carnival, founder of Umbrella Technologies. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Tom Carnival. I'm here at the GSX uh, event in Chicago. It is the Global Security Expo. Uh, in 2019, and it just so happens to be in my hometown of Chicago. Um, this is episode three of Security in Focus, and I'm super honored to have uh, Myron Love, who is the Director of Security Services for Anne and Lori uh, Children's Hospital of Chicago. So it is the renowned Chicago, Chicago Hospital for Pediatrics, um, and it's actually world-renowned, and I have known, and I think we've talked about before, I have a very personal um uh, connection to, to Lori's um, through my son who, who had an issue years and years ago and we went to dozens of doctors and finally landed on Lori's and so Myron Love has been in the security industry for several years. He is a CHPA and we're going to talk about that but that is in a second. He's a CPP, PSP, PCI and you're also, Myron, correct me if I'm wrong, involved in a group that is specifically related to healthcare. Can we that start maybe correct. there a little bit about that association yeah, and your involvement with Yeah, absolutely. And, and thank you so much, Tom. I really appreciate being able to talk to you. It's an honor. Uh, this, is, this is terrific. So I am a member of the International Association for Healthcare Security and Safety. Okay. Um, that is an organization that's based out of Chicago, as a matter of fact, uh, but it is an international association. Um, and they've worked very hard to develop uh, best practices, standards, and guidelines for healthcare security. Um, very, very terrific organization. Um, and I have a uh, certification with them as a certified healthcare protection administrator. And that is that is unique to that group. It is, yes. So, so basically, that is the kind of a certification that if you really want to go up in the reins within healthcare security, that is something that you get. What are the major, major key learning objectives in that kind of a um, that kind of a certification? Yeah. Well, you'll see more and more healthcare organizations and, and healthcare systems are looking for leadership that have a CHPA right. uh, because it demonstrates specialized knowledge in healthcare security. Um, so, in addition to a CPP, which is an excellent um, ASIS international certification, right. which is more all commercial. absolutely yeah, it's more general knowledge of yeah. all asset or facets of security management. The CHPA itself is very specialized, yeah. so it's going to be more healthcare administration. Um, knowing how patient care functions in an organization and how security um, relates to that for overall protection for customers, visitors, patients, and a lot of the other groups you mentioned, vendors, right. contractors. So I would assume there's a lot more regulations and learning objectives around HIPAA, mm -hmm. uh, correct? Absolutely, and, yes. Um, how does that tie into the certification, I guess, and also being a healthcare security professional? Yeah. It sounds well, like it's not something you just learn and you forget. It sounds like you learn and relearn and <laughs> this is very true. This is very true. So in healthcare we have a, a couple of organizations that are that are gonna come in and survey us. Um, we have the Joint Commission, um, which is an organization that is um, it's it's regulated by the federal government um, and Joint Commission will come in and survey us by uh, various standards and that is what a healthcare organization depends on to maintain our Medicaid reimbursement. 
Um, so if an organization, on, you know, ends up not passing their annual or biannual surveys or not getting um, the sign-off from Joint Commission because they may have come in and found some sort of an infection problem or a patient abduction and elopement risk or something like that that they assess um, that we're not meeting standards, they could make a recommendation to the federal government that we lose our Medicaid reimbursement. And there have definitely been healthcare organizations that have lost that and as a result had to shut down, either temporarily or permanently. So, yeah. So, a lot at stake? Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, and with that specialized healthcare um, certification, it helps show to leadership that I have a deeper understanding on regulatory agencies' involvement with her organization. Just think about the ramifications of that, a healthcare facility, Mm -hmm. especially with the volume and the prominence and prestige that yours has, shutting down for one day. Oh, yeah. It's huge. Millions of dollars lost, but then all the patients not being able to be uh, served in the the, the care that they deserve. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah, and, and Joint Commission cares deeply about patient care and providing a safe environment. So they'll come in with an expectation that we show our evidence of compliance to Joint Commission standards and guidelines. Um, and we have to show performance indicators to show that we meet certain benchmarks. Um, and a lot of this is dependent on life safety code sure. requirements. And yeah, it, it gets very in-depth. So you've had a, a really strong, long career in healthcare security. There's a lot of layers in departments of security that report to you. Yes. Right. So, so there's like going to be health and safety. There's going to be patrol officers, security guards. There's going to be you know people that are monitoring security technologies, mm-hmm. and I'm sure creating the culture of security Absolutely. within multiple departments is something that you a vital a battle you fight every day. Sure. Can you generally speaking, not necessarily with specifics to lorries, but to what a large healthcare system? Break down what some of those roles are and how how they report to you. Yeah, happy to. Um, I'll start off with the uh, security operations side. So this is where we're talking about our security staffing. Yeah. Um, so we have um, uh, proprietary security officers at my hospital. Um, we also have contract support um, to augment our staff when necessary. Um, so on the security operations side, I've got a team of security ops managers that directly oversee our sites. Um, Supporting them, we have lieutenants, sergeants, and our general rank structure of security officers. On our security system side, we maintain all of our access control systems, video monitoring, um, basically anything that comes under the technical side, which also includes your dispatch center. So we maintain 24-7 emergency response dispatching. Um, In addition to that, we also have the security training side, and this is where we get into a lot of cultural um, changes at our organization, where we are now trying to do a much better job of educating staff on their personal awareness and personal responsibility to contribute to a safety and security culture. And um, so that that's crucial for us um, because on most organizations, there's only so many security staff to handle things where you have thousands of other medical and clinical staff that also have to take some sort of responsibility to help with the overall security for the organization. Um, and we also have our security investigation side. So there we're helping our corporate compliance department, uh, human resources, or IT department with other investigations. Um, so we also help with fraud investigations, waste investigations, workplace violence investigations. So, yeah. Yeah, we, we wear a lot of hats in our security department. Uh, it's so interwoven into all departments, mm-hmm. uh, essentially. So so beginning, I guess, with the tech part of things, you, 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 you know, 
not every just because you know security doesn't mean you know the tech, which are tools essentially to run a hospital. Um, some of those are you know visitor management systems, some are access control systems, some are um, video management systems. And I and I wanted to talk to you to you specifically about this because I see so often manufacturers who make a product or a service say, oh well, this is really good for commercial buildings. Oh, oh, you're a hospital. Well, this is great for hospitals too. Right. And I just I see that we hear that I a lot for decades, and I and I wish it changed more. Um, and I don't think it changes enough, and it's not talked about enough how end users in specific vertical markets like healthcare are utilizing technology because there is not a one size fits all um, for that. Absolutely. So I guess let's start with access control. How, how did you establish that? program that technology from the start with your organization? Did you inherit it and how has it evolved? I actually inherited a system that okay. was uh, in desperate need of being replaced. Yeah. Um, for, for background, my, my organization um, at the Anna Robert H. Larry Church Hospital of Chicago, uh, five years ago we were Children's Memorial Hospital right. and we were in Lincoln Park um, here in Chicago. And five years ago we built a brand new 23-story skyscraper in uh, the heart of Chicago in Streeterville. So, we had to migrate our systems at some of our other locations that weren't moving from an old antiquated access control system to the modern access control system we were putting in our main hospital. So I've been able to see both sides of it with the new implementation like and the old. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's still an ongoing project um, even five years later because you can't do everything at once. Um, but I think over time of talking to different vendors, looking at what we're implementing, you're right. A lot of them are are things that are put in place and it's great for a retail establishment or um, you know somewhere or, or a business that may not necessarily work in a hospital yep. you know one good example of that were um, implementation of offline car readers that weren't integrated okay. with their online access control system or needing to put in card readers that might have been better if they had to put in prox card readers okay. as opposed to swipe bar code readers right. that way if we have staff pushing a patient on a gurney will able we're able to trigger that prox from a distance that, as that opposed dual to being right off. is going to be too time consuming and, mm -hmm. and cause more you know chinks in the armor uh, especially when you're wheeling patients throughout areas but absolutely i see dual authentication being a very uh, uh important variable mm -hmm. in healthcare um I, I i think i know the answer but why would you say that dual authentication and access control in healthcare is super important well no, we use it for um, areas like MRI, where you absolutely need to be able to ensure that you have a, a tighter level of access control into that space. So you may have general staff that have training on MRI safety, but you have to have specialized training programs in place, mandatory education for staff that have access to that suite. Um, because the last thing you want is for a facilities employee with equipment to walk into the MRI suite. So they may have access to that card reader, but you would probably want to have dual authentication to make sure that they have that additional credential level to be able to access. So I, I, we've talked you offline about my some of my past health woes, so I've, I've seen my fair share of hospitals. So I'm, I'm curious to know, because there's management and operation software, when you're checking the patient in or you're updating a digital record, mm -hmm. there's always... A reader on these portable devices. They can be a tablet, they can be a cart that's plugged into the wall. So is there, you know, and you don't have to answer this, but I'm, I'm curious if there's a an access control database that's shared with the devices in logging 
time mm-hmm. of, of, of certain credential holders capabilities and inputs into data uh, like with an active directory database is that right. is that all how it's yes. how it works yeah absolutely okay. absolutely and that is a technology that we use at my hospital we, we try to use <clears throat> that active directory um, database to integrate between various systems whether it's human resources patient care um, patient record tracking or a visitor management system I see that it's such a compounding value thing for uh, a healthcare facility because you're pulling data, how can you turn, if you are, that data collection into an operational or patient benefit over time? I, I think I know the answer again, like you're managing how long it takes to do a specific category of intake or diagnostic or test, and you're measuring that again and again from employee to departments, and you're getting this data that could translate to further training, it could translate to increasing you know, patient care or operations and cutting costs in some ways. Are you part of those conversations with? Yeah, um, and without getting too into the yes. weeds on, on um, you know, the vendor selection process on how we chose what we did or exactly what we're using right. that data Please for, but we, we absolutely do, you know, and, and, and getting a better idea on what that AD integration allowed us to do was so important for us. And with our electronic visitor management system, we're looking not just for visitors, but we're looking for ways to better identify patients when they're coming in. Um, so whether it's an inpatient or an outpatient appointment, being able to input that patient, you know, get that information from that patient record to assign visitors to their room, for example, sure. to be able to see, okay, well, that patient is now transferred from the emergency department to our inpatient floor and be able to track that in the system to automatically update Various systems from EV or from our electronic visitor management system to our Epic record to be able to just put all that in one place is just it's amazing. It's amazing to be able to do that, and it's really I think we're finding you know it's still a work in progress for yeah. us. But I think over the past you're year or so, big data and you have yeah, to, you're, you're learning from big yeah, data. definitely, definitely. But we're seeing so many more opportunities to actually put this this technology in a place. It's it's great. Um, so a couple other touches on, on access control systems. Uh, what are some of the challenges you have with managing a staff of thousands of people with access control and the training of using it? And um, what are some of the lessons learned in implementing this newer technology to your team? Um, I think my immediate answer is probably the same one most healthcare organizations would give you, human error. Yeah. And, and the... the the inherent kindness of people to allow people into your space. I would say no matter what system we put in place, if we cannot ensure proper training and awareness for staff to simply not open the doors to people just because they say, hey, could you grab that door for me? Or, you know, when you're trying to be nice and someone doesn't have a badge, it's it's always someone's first thought to just hold the door. That, I would say, is probably our number one issue. Um, other than that, um, from a technical standpoint, um, we do run into issues in, in healthcare generally with people not understanding different access rights. So, for example, you may have um, a group of clinical employees that are receiving access to spaces where they don't really need it because it's, it's the thought that it's all patient care, it's all patient care space. And as a result, you may have staff that have access to a department or a space that they don't really need access into. 
So when you're running an investigation, you're pulling your reports on how many people have access into a space, you sometimes have to call that list a little bit deeper than you normally would think you would because the access group is just so wide. And it's kind of not in the healthcare culture sometimes that kind of put in restrictions and multiple layers of access control for a general populace of staff. And that becomes an issue when you have conference rooms, for example, that need to be accessed by a large number of people, but it's inside of a, a clinical space that would technically be more high risk and you want to always keep that list limited. And that, that's, that's tricky. That's, that's a tricky There's one. There's so many different layers of, I would think that, and now that I'm thinking about this, your type of operation compared to almost anything else is so much more complex because of the group profiles mm -hmm. you have to create absolutely and the areas and space in which people can go so yep. it keeps my systems team very busy yeah um, especially as clinical or medical staff have so many different huh. specialties and as nursing staff get a, a lot more education sure. and become advanced practice nurses where they now have greater levels of responsibility to access greater areas of the hospital you kind of have to open it up a little bit yep. and and roles change constantly yep. and it, it can get you know very very tricky to figure out exactly what groups people should be in. interesting I'm, I'm sure that's a quarterly or, or more review of you're always looking and evaluating and tweaking mm -hmm. some of these group permissions um, because what most companies do is they set the rules and they like okay you're hired for this job boom, that's your access absolutely and they kind of forget about it mm -hmm. always after the fact right and I would think healthcare security more than any other business, you have to constantly be tweaking that. You do. Absolutely. Wow. Wow. Absolutely. And there, there's no one-size-fits-all when right. it comes to access. Yep. And it takes, you have to do your diligence. You really have to dig into it. And you have to make sure you keep this information constantly updated, which is one great benefit to that active directory discussion we're sure. having and how um, employee records are tied into the HR database to make sure when roles or department assignments are changed, they automatically update. That way our access control team gets that information in real time. And if we need to go into our system and manually remove some, we can, but if the system is functioning as we're hoping, it'll just simply be able to just remove or change the access for us and then set us a report to let us know that it was done so we can vet. So does, does anti-passback help with that problem you discussed earlier about um, door propping and door opening? Like you said, it's still the training piece, mm -hmm. of course, but how are healthcare systems and providers using anti-passback for access control. I can give you an example from my last organization, actually. Um, we had a, a building, it was actually formerly a hotel um, that we converted into a medical office building. And it was in a, a, a fairly decent part of town, but there was still a desire for the staff working in the building for a dedicated security person at the lobby because we had a lot of people that would come into the building lost or they would think the building was you know, another hospital's building, so they're just walking and going up the elevator, and now they're inside the building lost. That happened quite a few times. So we were actually looking into an anti-passback revolving door um, with, the, with the explanation that we don't need a security person to manage the people coming in. We actually just need to put in access control with a system where, yeah. where we don't have anti-passback. Eliminates the problem, and we saw we would see like a huge... Um, cost savings over putting wow. in a security person with hourly and benefits yeah. and all that. And resource can be put, put to other areas. Yeah, absolutely. 
So that was so that was great for us because unfortunately a lot of times when people think they need security, it's always we need guards, we need security officers, we need a body there, and it's like no, maybe you don't. Maybe we just need to have staff awareness and access control, and it'll solve that problem for us. And sometimes tech and a little bit of process can help, but you use the human eyes and the instincts in the right places to be uh, successful. So I think maybe transitioning to like uh, visitor management systems, because I know that's something that's kind of a hot plate for you right now. Mm-hmm. I don't know that it's new in healthcare, but the reality is there's still a lot of healthcare facilities on pen and paper with <laughs> visitor management systems. Yes. There's still a lot of healthcare facilities that, you know, using proprietary unshared databases that do not work with access control. Mm-hmm. When you started thinking about visitor management for your, your healthcare facility and hospital, what did you, what were some of your goals to accomplish? Great question. Um, so we, <clears throat> we implemented electronic visitor management 13 months ago. Okay. So it's still relatively really new for us. Yeah. yeah, very much so. Um, but a couple of the problems we were having um, was my knowledge that we were not doing, well, I was going to say not a great job. We were doing no job whatsoever when it comes to screening for sex offenders coming into our hospital. With, with us being a pediatric health organization, we felt that was very important. And previously, if we received information from law enforcement or uh, the Department of Child and Family Services, then we would be able to take action on that. But we didn't have anything in a place to screen every visitor, which was a problem for us. So we, we decided that we were going to implement that. Um, we also, before we put in this new electronic vision management system, we were using pen and paper. So all visitors would receive a paper pass that our concierge staff would write the floor that they're going to after checking if they actually have an appointment. Now, the problem with that is when families leave, we were kind of on the honor roll system, on the honor system, hoping that they would turn their passes in. And many families didn't. They would walk out of the hospital and just kind of <clears throat> just toss it. I threw it out. Yes, yeah. I oh, it's, it's yeah, it's human nature. When you're going there many times uh, a week. It's uh, yeah, yeah, I human nature. And our hospital was located a block away from Michigan Avenue, two blocks away from the John Hancock Tower. So it's a major tourist area. And there would be many times we would have people walking down Michigan Avenue and find one of our passes, which would allow them entry into the hospital. And we would write the date on the pass, but still, you know, you're you're hoping that the security officer is able to read the badge and catch someone trying to come back in. So we had a couple of times when people who should not have been returning did come back into the hospital as well. Um, so with the new electronic vision management system, we eliminated all of that. You know, so we worked to eliminate the pen and paper passes, actually take photos of all the visitors, run a sex offender check, their driver's license, uh, automatically... Um, populating their their name and floor information onto a pass that we would then print and give to them so they're wearing their photo on their on their badge to walk through the hospital and then for our inpatient units we locked all of those down 24 7 and all authorized visitors are given an access card that allows them entry into the unit that way we can track visitors that are coming into the unit when the visitors are leaving and if there's an issue we can cut their access so they're not able to enter back in fantastic mm-hmm. um and, and so these, so they do get a credential. They do. They do get a credential. For inpatient visits, they do get a credential. For inpatient, and so it's restricted to the floor mm-hmm. that where they're, where they're visiting specifically. Um, so basically they can go up to the floor, and I'm sure before they get into the patient wing, mm-hmm. there's another checkpoint. There is, yes. Right? Because that Absolutely. credential is not going to just give them free access there, but it's going to at least give them elevator access to the floor to the checkpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, yep, and then they can swipe in. And because it's integrated with that active directory, if the patient's information is changed, so they're assigned to a different floor 
or a different unit, uh, for example, between NICU or ICU or from the ED up to OR, wherever the case may be, it will change their access in the system automatically. So they don't need to come back to get another access card. It'll just update for them and they can just go into the new unit and the unit that they're no longer on, they can't get back into. And you're not giving them pops. You're usually going with the lower cost, like thin, thin cards. Absolutely, yes. That's the way to do it because they've got to be a disposable type of uh, mm-hmm. an item because uh, you're going to get the same, whether it's a sticker or it's a card. Oh, absolutely. Forget. Yeah. So do you have time? Um, so, so is there a time clock? Is there amount of... Do you, do you eliminate that credential authorization based on a restricted, pre-designated time? We do. 24 hours okay. for parents. So they have 24 yes. hours if they're a parent. But what about swipes? What if you find that they're swiping more times than they should? I mean, I yes, of course, they're only restricted to an area, but mm-hmm. the more times they try, or if they attempt multiple times in non authorized areas what how does this how do you think about that and plan for that we actually did think about that and in the layout of our hospital is a little bit different us being a a skyscraper um so i I know some hospitals i've visited you have your your main cafeteria might be off of a public concourse our cafeteria is actually on our 12th floor inside the hospital so we did think about if we wanted to limit how how visitors would move between those floors, but we decided not to do that because it's not uncommon for families to go back and forth and multiple times. And oh, absolutely. And we do want to encourage our families to take their patients for a walk um, to get out of the unit if it's, you know, if it's medically possible for them to do that, just so they can, you know, some of our longer term patients get a little cabin fever, as you can, as well, you can what probably a, imagine. What a day, night and day uh, from pen and paper to, you know, really, really great and it's much easier to manage. It sounds like it's better for the visitor and the patients as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it gives them that sense of freedom without, you know, too much freedom. So exactly. uh, I know you're thinking and always thinking about new technologies and things to advance. And so what's dreaming up in your, your head about while, while we're wrapping up things that you are thinking about, dreaming about implementing for uh, security, whether it's a process, it's a technology, or it's a training teaching moment i'd love to see because i know you're always experimenting with new things and thinking about definitely. new innovations definitely well right now we're looking at ways to <clears throat> capitalize on a foundation we've got with this electronic visitor management system yep. so one one thing that we're looking at that i'm very excited about are um, kiosks so we have um two areas where you have to pass by security to, sure. to get into the hospital one is our main entry um after you check in with registration staff and you get your card and you go past security Another is on our 11th floor. And these would be self-check-ins, I'm sorry, right? Correct, okay. right. Yep. And the next one would be on our 11th floor where you also have to walk past the security officer, yep. and that takes you up to our inpatient floors. Um, so we're, we're looking into putting in a kiosk there, I'm sorry, a turnstile there. So once you get your badge and your access card, you would actually be able to tap to go into the inpatient floors as well. Um, and what excites me about that is the opportunity to use that to restrict patients from escaping out of our inpatient floors for our patient elopement and abduction mitigation risk. Um, so if it's a patient that doesn't have an access card that somehow manages to get off of the locked unit, but they make it down to that 11th floor, there would be a kiosk that would physically stop them from passing if they don't have an access card. Uh, so that's one technology we're really excited about. And the other would be pre-registration uh, functionality with mobile devices. Online app. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah and kiosks that we can use for self-check-in and registration once you arrive for your appointment, um, which we're hoping we are going to be able to integrate to notify the floors that your patient has arrived 
that way we can accommodate for the time it takes to check in, go to our elevator, and make your way up to our inpatient floors. You know, this theme, I, 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 something that's really resonating for me in this conversation is a healthcare security professional needs to so much have more customer service and mm-hmm. integration and security in, you know, combined into one because they go so much in the same area. Yeah, it's yeah, if you're giving easier, faster, more caring customer service to your patients and service, you are creating more of a culture of security within your organization. Um, I get that tone from you and that and that mindset so much that you are really focused on integrating both of those. What what other final thoughts do you have for the security and focus audience, if any? Um, I, I think uh, one thing I would want to leave everybody with is that understanding, both on the end user side and on the vendor side, is look at patient and families first when we're looking at the implementation of technology in a healthcare environment, because ultimately they're the ones that are impacted. So if we put in a visitor management system that's too restrictive, that's too time consuming, that could make our families late for their appointments, the negative perception is that that's too much security. But if you can make something like that feel seamless, feel as effortless as possible, but still be able to give you that tight security that you need, the, the, the value in that is tremendous, and families really appreciate that. And the families in the healthcare, they're our biggest advocates for implementing higher levels of security in many cases. Amazing. This was really great talk. I knew it would Good. be. Um, thank you for, for joining me. My yeah, friend. Appreciate absolutely. You really okay. appreciate it. My thank pleasure. you so much. Live from the GSX conference, this is Security in Focus. Thank you. You've been listening to Security in Focus, a service of Umbrella Technologies. For more information, go to umbrellatech.co.